Hello, hello, and welcome to the Relate and Educate podcast. It's Aaron Patton here. Guys, our final teacher's night out is coming up November 16th. It is for Tulsa area teachers, anyone in the Tulsa area, really anyone who's willing to drive to Tulsa. You are welcome to come and get tickets to our event. So this teacher's night out is going to be at the Broken Arrow Performing Arts Center. We are going to have Kim Bearden of the Ron Clark Academy, and we're also going to have Michael Mayo performing his comedy hypnosis. It is going to be such a fun night. We have had, oh my goodness, such a great season of Teachers Night Outs this year, and so we are so excited for this final last one. If you want to still come, it is not too late. Visit our website at relatethenneducate.com. Click on events and then click on Teachers Night Out and you can get everything you need to get your tickets and make sure that you are there for our final Teachers Night Out in Tulsa. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. All right, today's episode is with Lindsay Barton. I'm so excited to talk to Lindsay because she was supposed to be on our very first podcast episode when we talked to Jamie Lee and Stephanie Bauer. That was our very first one. Now, those are two of my great teacher friends, and I just reached out to them, and then Jamie was like, oh, I want to bring someone named Lindsay Barton, and she was supposed to come. I was so excited. Turns out she had a kid sick or something like that. I can't even remember because it was like a while ago, Um, but she was unable to come. And so this has been such a long time in the making, and we are so excited that we finally got to talk to Lindsay. And boy, was she worth the wait. Lindsay, my dear, you are something special. Rick and I, after after we recorded with you, we both sat there and we were just like, wow, what a teacher this is. And you guys, you're going to quickly see that. You're going to quickly hear that in this episode. Lindsay teaches eighth grade history. So that's U.S. history, which we talk about this. I got to teach um, early American history when I taught fifth grade and I loved it. That was like, oh, one of my favorite things to teach. And so we talked a lot about early American, U.S. history, all of that stuff. And it was really exciting. And just her ways that she goes about doing things is remarkable. She is also full of resources. So you guys are definitely going to want to jot down some of the things she's done because Lindsay's done some really cool things in her career. And she shares all of those resources with you guys so that you can also do that too. So enjoy this episode with Lindsay Barton as she talks about teaching eighth grade. Amplifying the voices of teachers. This is Relate and Educate. talking to today my dear uh, my name is Lindsay Barton and I teach at Bixby Middle School at Bixby Middle mm-hmm. School what grade do you teach eighth grade eighth grade yes. how long have you been teaching eighth grade um gosh this is probably I think my 10th year in eighth grade okay 17th year overall what other grades did you teach almost all of them nice <laughs> um I taught um world history for a little bit at the high school level oh that's my yeah. Yeah. yeah juniors and seniors um I was fortunate to work in a program at Union where 
it's kind of like a hybrid classroom position, like academic advisor. It was oh. like a grant-funded program, cool. so I looped with those kids and had them in 8th, uh-huh. ninth, and 10th grade. Um, and I did a, almost a year in 6th grade ELA as well, so okay. in addition to college. I'm just kind of been all over the place. Nice. <laughs> and so you've been in 8th grade for... 10 years, you yeah, said. Total. Yes. Nice. Yes. What do you think of eighth grade? Because yes. for me, I've taught six all the way up to 12. Yeah. Eighth was the one that I just felt so bad for the kids. <sighs> it's like they can't help themselves. They're just right. immersed in hormones and yes. they're sweaty. <laughs> Bless and they their stink. hearts. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you can't blame them. Seventh graders are like normal children and then eighth yes. grade it's like what is this and then ninth grade they chill out of two yeah what's your perspective on that so what i you know it's interesting when i started teaching i said i would never teach middle school um because it was an awkward time in my life and i was just like gosh why would i want to spend the rest of my life going back to middle school <laughs> um but i love history i love american yeah. history and so um there was a position when i was still at union that opened up for eighth grade american history and um, i had worked with the building principal before thought I'd give it a try. Um, and I wound up really kind of liking, I mean, cause like you're right, it's such a weird age. Um, <laughs> but it's cool because I feel like, you know, in August they come in and they're kids, yes. but when they yeah. leave, they're young men and women and you mm. get to watch that whole transformation that takes place. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's really cool to see the amount of growth and change that happens. Like I, I always joke that there's this this kind of, you know, when I talk to parents that are like frustrated with their kids or whatever, I'm just like, listen, this is the magic year. Like you will have a whole different kid in At June. The end of like, this just year. wait. Yeah. So um, I kind of enjoy it from that perspective. That is cool. And they're old enough to get my sarcasm, which is nice. Yes. Yes. I'm a very sarcastic person. So <laughs> that didn't play they... too well in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they cry a lot? Oh, <laughs> you know, there was a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> She's so mean to me. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh-huh. Eighth grade, they can grasp some of the difficulties of history. Yes. Like, and they can ask the question, that yes. happened? Really? Why? Yes. You know, because it doesn't un- doesn't compute. Exactly. But that's when they can kind of absorb that kind of stuff, exactly. the heavier stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And I've noticed in the last, I don't know, probably just five or six years, um, my kids are more interested in history than they were when I first started teaching. No kidding. Because, you know, it. In the last 10, 15 years, politics has crossed mm-hmm. over into pop culture. Mm-hmm. And so even when kids are just watching stuff on TikTok, sometimes they'll come across stuff that has a political aspect to it. And yeah. so they get curious, like, how did we get here? And yeah. so I feel like there's more buy-in now than, you know, 10, 12 years cool. ago. Why do we have to learn this stuff? It's so old. Like, they're getting it now. That's interesting. Yeah. It's and so that's penetrated their world. Yes. When, when I grew up in the 80s, yeah. like Ronald Reagan existed, but... Right. You know, I don't have any connection, but now it's like, I, th- I think it's because of the availability of media. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more, and I think the kids are being targeted with stuff yes. now. So yeah, it's in their world and a lot of it's comically weird right now. Yes. You know? Yes. As, yeah. as it it's was entertaining. A, it was just boring before, but now it's just like, <laughs> what in the world? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have kids um, that come into my classroom um, that are like, did you watch that GOP debate last oh night in the same like format of like, Oh my gosh, did you see the Dallas Cowboys game last yeah. night? You right. know? Um, yeah. and I mean, I get it. Like we're definitely in, um, like you said, a weird time where it kind of feels like half entertainment, 
yeah, half sure. governance, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. um, but it's cool to have those conversations because kids, like I said, they get curious and they, mm-hmm. they want to know like what, you know, what is this all about? Like, how are we here? Yeah. So I'm sure that provides for some awesome classroom discussions. It does. And everything. And it does. That's cool. Okay, so you are U.S. history yes. in eighth grade, right? Yes. I taught fifth grade, and that was early okay. American history. Yeah. And oh my goodness, I didn't even know that I was interested in early American history until I taught fifth grade. Right. And I fell in yeah. love. I went to Colonial Williamsburg, the Teacher Institute, and did all that kind of stuff. And just, it changed my life teaching yes. American history because it let me know, like, the history of me and my, yes, you know, how exactly right. everything is working the way it is. And so that's so interesting that like an eighth grader mm-hmm. would be able to start to put those connections and stuff together right now. So much more than yes. when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I started doing this year, so we have um, a class called basic at Bigsby uh-huh. um, and they kind of get to pick, it's almost like a mini elective. Um, okay. It's only 30 minutes. We use that for, um, like, we're going to start a financial literacy program on Mondays and Wednesdays. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they get to pick, like, do I want to learn chess? Do I want to learn origami? Um, This year, for the first year, I'm teaching um, a genealogy unit. And so kind of handpicked some kids Uh that I, from my classes, that I knew would be interested in doing, like, a family tree. Um, Because the last, last couple years, I've had students that, um, wanted to do that. And it's, you know, difficult to find where to put that, you know, in a traditional classroom uh-huh. setting. So, um, but it's great cause there are a lot of free resources out there. And then, I mean, I have done my own genealogy I'm like in my 15th year of research. Oh, wow. Um, so I've got all these database memberships and so, yeah. you know, I get them to kind of build back to a certain point and then I can start pulling things for them. Um, and I try to get to the time period that they're learning in eighth grade history. So it's like, well, let's see what your family was doing at the time period that we're studying. Um, and sometimes we get really good stuff. Like I, I pulled a student's, uh, great, great grandfather's, um, citizenship application from the early 1900s, had his photograph on it, his signature. Um, and it was very tangible. So I I love doing stuff like that too. Um, that, that alone could be a class like a crossover class. Yes. There's so much history that can be brought out, and you can just start working your way yeah. backwards instead exactly. of forwards, right? That's actually always been my dream. I would love to teach an American history class starting in present time <gasps> and working backward. Like, okay, here's what we're dealing with today, and here's how we got here. Oh, and then, so this happened. That and would the, be cool. Yeah, like, you know, to kind of connect it backward. I don't know. I think it'd be a different way of approaching it. Yeah. Um, but I, I've thought about that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I know with me that. I taught world history for a long time, and the last few years, I needed to change it up, right? Yes. So what I did in the second semester was we went a totally different path. So we started with, you know, clean water. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that was the theme, was water. Mm-hmm. And so you get, you know, you go back to when water became, like, clean, you mm-hmm. know, with, uh, not chlorine, but whatever they use. Can't, re- can't recall, it's been a while. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but just the domino effect. Yes. You know, and actually we started before that, uh, you know, cholera and, and flooding into, sure. you know, all this stuff. Um, and then we ended up at like, you know, uh, skateboarding, mm-hmm. you know, the X Games because pools mm-hmm. yeah. were created because there was so much clean water. So it was just this domino effect. Mm-hmm. And the kids loved it so much because what we did was we did mind maps to right. link together yes. all of these different dominoes. And it was not 
anybody's curriculum. It was just I wanted to do it. Yeah. You know? So I think Absolutely. That the teacher, if they have a really good idea, they can make it work. Yeah. You know? And Ancestry would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Be awesome. Oh, we've yeah. had a lot of fun. And this all started um, the year that I – uh, that we were all dealing with COVID in okay. 2020, um, where we had so many switch to virtual, switch out to virtual, we're in person, but half the kids are missing. Um, yes. You know, you you have to get creative to even keep them entertained. Yeah. And I had a student um, who probably is one that maybe meant a lot to me um, throughout my career. Um, he uh, was in a foster home. It was his 18th foster home. Oh, wow. It was a good family, mm -hmm. but he was naturally kind of curious. Um, and um, foster parents were open to him kind of learning a little bit more. Um, he knew that he was Choctaw and Chickasaw and wanted to explore that more. And so I helped him kind of build back a little bit because he knew parents and grandparents' names. Um, and we found <laughs> out that he was like the sixth great-grandson of like the, the Choctaw chief um, that oh, had wow. um, petitioned Andrew Jackson against removal. And oh. so we found a letter that he wrote to Congress um, that was archived in the, um, the Congressional Library. And oh um, his uh, foster family printed that off for him so he could have like that piece of his, you know, his yes. lineage um, because he cool. had no idea. Um, and that's, it meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to me to be like a part of watching him put those pieces together. Mm -hmm. What did um, that do for him? Like, I can just imagine intrinsically yeah. kind of what that... I mean, I think it was kind of like, um, not only do I know where I come from, but I know the qualities that are that yeah. I've inherited for, uh -huh. for leadership and for, um, you know, representing my tribe if, if I decide I want to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for him, obviously, but it was a really cool and emotional moment for both of us. Um, and wow. I just got to thinking like, man, I want... I want a little bit more of that, you yeah. know? So um, I had the opportunity to offer it in a flex class this year, and we've just kind of taken it and run with it. That's awesome. That yeah. So I had a neat. front row seat for that in my family mm -hmm. that happened, and it was, you know, an adoption, and birth parent was found and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And what we found out was how weird genetics are. Yes. Because <sighs> when you see somebody that you don't know but you're related to, so many things make sense. And mm -hmm. then you also get the benefit of having medical history. Yes. Things to watch out for. Yes. Um, a, a feeling of just being complete, mm -hmm. you know, because the question has been, been answered. Yes. And it could be wildly different depending on the circumstances. Right. But at least that person, if they are curious, they have that knowledge. Yes. You know, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wanted to take a quick second to let you know that Teacher's Night Out is coming back for 2023. And we're adding locations too. We're gonna to be in Oklahoma City on October 17th at the Hewberg Chevrolet Center. And then we're gonna follow that up the next week and we're gonna be in Fayetteville at the Walton Arts Center on October 24th. And Gary Brooks is coming to do both of those shows and we're excited to see him again. But then in November, Tulsa, we're coming back with Kim Bearden, who is the co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta. She is incredible, and she's going to be at Teacher's Night Out in the Broken Arrow PAC on November 16th. So if you want to get more information about Teacher's Night Out, what it is, what we're doing, get the details on all of these events, go to relatetheneducate.com, and you can check all of that out, but you can also vote on what T-shirt that we're going to make up to give to every single person who buys a ticket to Teacher's Night Out this year. So go to relatetheneducate.com, check it out, and if you have any questions, please let us know.
yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience. Um, you know, I've, I've done, I've worked on our family history for probably 15 years. Do you um, use Ancestry? I use Ancestry. I also use uh, Family Search. Um, that's another one that okay. I really like. Um, and, uh, Is it similar? It's similar. Um, and I actually lately feel like there's more information that's been entered into that that's like anecdotal, which is nice because you kind of get the story that's told. Yeah. Um, and then I, a big one that was kind of unexpected that I just started working with about five years ago is newspapers.com because oh. you can pull those archived newspapers. I use that a lot in my classroom. We go back and oh, use those I for bet. primary yeah. sources. Can you do a keyword search or uh -huh. how does that work? Yeah, Whoa, and you can dial really? it down to the, the time period, the decade, wow. the place. Um, and so that's been really fun to find. Um, my great granddad owned a dry goods store in Tulsa in the early 1900s. Yeah. And uh, I found a, uh, an article, an ad for his dry goods store <laughs> in the Tulsa no. Tribune from like 1919 or something. No I mean, kidding. so that was really neat. Yeah, so. That would be a long time cool. ago if it was called dry goods. Right. Of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That well, is neat. I think that's, that could be a curriculum. Because yes. because of the availability of the research tools, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Just in the last several years, um, we've gotten more inclusive with that too. You know, you have tribes that have uploaded digitized um, records. Um, the uh, I think it was in 2018, maybe 2019, that the federal government digitized the slave censuses. Since I censuses, <laughs> 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 I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I feel like now there's even more information out there for wow. students um, should they choose to, you know, go down that path. Yeah. Because um, even 10 years ago, it didn't look like that. Yeah. These are great resources. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Like for everyone listening. This well, is and awesome. that's the thing. Like I, I wanted to really get into, you know, kids think history is boring. Like, oh, it's names and dates. I did. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, they're with this class, they're working with primary sources mm -hmm. and like eight or nine different research databases. They don't even realize they're doing research. Yeah. To them, it's an investigation, which that's really what history is anyway. Yeah. Um, so getting them to see it in that light, I think makes it a little more tangible. Like, oh, these are real people that lived, mm -hmm. that had stories, um, that weren't just, you know, the people that we read about in the textbook. And, yeah. um, you know, especially as we we start to, there has been a focus the last 20, 30 years in historical education of what were the quote unquote others doing, right? Like what were the working class uh -huh. doing? What were women doing? Um, and so this kind of makes that more tangible because not everybody is related to Ben Franklin or something, you know? So <laughs> like what, what were the regulars doing, yes. right? So. Well, my curiosity would be like, if somebody found that they did have a relative great grandfather that lived in Tennessee and sure. whenever, what was happening? What happened big right. at that time? Would he have known about it? Right. Yeah. Talking about communication, transportation. How did it affect him? Right. By the way, my dog is in here. <laughs> I just want to apologize he's for that. He's so cute, though. He he's, is He's so a good cute. dog, but he's not laying down like I thought he would. <laughs> this is his nap time during the middle of the day. He's just so excited. He wants to be part of this. Yeah. There you go. Sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> but you could build out history around the things that they are connected to, which yes. makes it relevant mm -hmm. and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if Aaron found a relative and you explained you know, what was going on with that relative at that particular time, I would be interested. Yeah. yeah. Say, wow, that, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. You know? uh, and then I would want to find my relative. Like, wh where were my relatives and what yes. were they doing? Yeah. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's it's, really cool. it's been a lot of fun. And um, I recently, um, I have a master's degree in, in school administration. 
that I'll never use. It's just not, you know, I thought that was something I wanted. I don't. I want to be in the classroom. In the classroom, yeah. Um, but I started the summer working on a master's in American history. And so putting yeah. myself in that role of being a student again uh -huh. and having my own curiosities about the material has kind of, um, like, reinvigorated, I guess, wanting to build that in my classroom for kids yeah. um and there's a lot of things i've been able to borrow from that education to bring into my classroom which has been really cool That's cool. Yeah. and that was the whole goal i mean uh -huh. i don't have any plans to leave education or k through 12 with this master's degree but it just will make me a better teacher yeah. and um yeah i've gotten a lot out of it so that's cool did you or go ahead what no, were you gonna good. say i was gonna ask if you were interested in history growing up and if like this is just you know, a continuation of that, or if this, is, if you ever thought you'd be getting your master's degree in history? Um, you know, growing up, um, my mom was really into history. Um, and that was just, you know, she read all the time. Um, and it was, you know, I remember her talking to me about like the Mayans in like second, yeah. third grade, and I was just fascinated. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely think that that started early. Um, if I had been braver at 17 or 18, I probably would have majored in archaeology. Um, oh, you know, um, nice. but I'm kind of like finding, um, you know, just these last five years, you know, it's just that investigative process. Yeah. And now with everything being digitized uh -huh. and kind of developing those research skills, I feel like I get to do a lot of, you know, digging anyway, yes. maybe not literally, but, you know, through a lot of different records. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, kind of yes and no, like, Okay. Um, it was something that, you know, was dinner table conversation in our yeah. house related to historical stuff. So my dad was not so much into history, but he, he was the teacher of the family. So okay. I guess I kind of Absorbed blended both that. into one. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, so how did teaching happen for you? Um, I kind of always knew I wanted to teach. Um, I, you know, I had briefly considered, um, like my senior year of high school, um, I thought I wanted to be a journalism major. Um, which was still mm -hmm. telling a story, uh -huh. right? That's it's still a form of education. Yeah. Um, and just kind of realized after a couple years in those classes, that wasn't really where I wanted to be. Um, and I was double majoring in journalism and education. Oh, wow. So I just dropped the journalism major and just rolled with education. And um, I took a class maybe my sophomore year of college uh, that focused just on the American Revolution. Um, and... I really enjoyed that class. Yeah. Um, the professor uh, did a whole unit where he taught it from the British perspective. And I was, I was like, getting ready to ask. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, what do you mean there's another yes. side of this yes. story? Like, yes. What else have I missed? Right. So that was when I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, and, you know, from there, just kind of fell into it naturally, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's so provocative, but it's so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you can illuminate to, kids to the fact that you know what you know about the american mm -hmm. revolution is from a particular standpoint right and there's another one right <laughs> you know right and they're both equally true mm -hmm. it's just depending on how you frame it right mm -hmm. so when i taught fifth grade we did a debate where there were three loyalists and there were three um What's the opposite? Patriots. Patriots. Oh my gosh. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. And so they, you know, they're, they each had teams and really got the, the, uh, the characters into yes. whatever. And so they had to defend as a loyalist, yes. you know, why they were loyalists. And it was so powerful seeing those fifth graders like pound yeah. on the table and stand up and say like, 
you wouldn't be a colony if it wasn't yes. for us. And like really be yeah. able to take their perspective and, ar- and argue right. as that. And it, yes, it's yeah. so cool and exciting and makes for such a more complete picture. Yes, mm-hmm. it does. I think that that's why I loved history and telling the story of history. Yes. To be like, why would these people respond this way? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was as simple as they're just being selfish. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or they were ignorant. They were totally ignorant. Yeah. yeah. And and when you dial it into that, the kids are like, oh. Yeah. Like they weren't like, you know, when you think of people in the past, you think either they're really dumb mm-hmm. or they just had it together, like the founding fathers. Yeah. I love telling stories about those guys. Oh, man, yes. they were... They were Lawed. crazy. Yes, <laughs> they were. Yes. And they drank so much yes. beer. <laughs> anyway, uh, just to share that, the humanity of it, right. the, the failures, the successes, it's always messy, mm-hmm. no matter when it is in history. But mm-hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. And I always tell my kids at the beginning of the year, you know, history is really more the study of human behavior than it is names and dates. Mm -hmm. You know, we always get into the how and the why. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's like a war started over that. Are you serious? You know? And I'm like, well, yeah, because that's humans. Like sometimes we do dumb things Yeah, (laughs) and it has a big impact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Let's get, get my history juices going. Yes. I love it. And it makes me think of Hamilton and how that's like, personalized so many of these people in history for me that really that was a life-changing musical for me like it I don't know it just affected me so much yeah and when it came out on Disney remember during the pandemic yes while hell was going on and it was just so relevant it was so very 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 relevant and I feel like there's so, like, back to what we were talking about, uh-huh. there's so many things that are happening now that make our history so relevant to us. Yes. And I love that your kids are so into it yeah, and excited too. about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, a really cool thing. And, you know, I try to change things up a little bit from year to year because I would get bored if I didn't. And you don't yeah. ever want to go into autopilot. I feel like that that's a dangerous place to be. That maybe You're bored, they're bored. Right, yeah. and that just leads to burnout, right? Yeah. So um, I kind of set a goal over every summer. Like, what do I, what do I want to develop better this year? What do I want to build in this year? Um, and I took a, an amazing class for my, uh, master's program this summer about indigenous history. Um, and, uh, the professor, um, was actually from Oklahoma. He's at Arizona state now, but, uh, went to Bacon and, mm-hmm. um, grew up on reservations here. And, um, he led me to a book um, by a, another professor that's in our graduate program um, who teaches at Yale. And oh, wow. um, it's, you know, rethinking or rediscovering American history. And so he teaches it from the indigenous perspective. Um, and so it's really interesting because he takes the, you know, 500 years essentially of American history and um, starts it with documented um, experiences that indigenous people had of settlers coming here as opposed to the other way around, like what their reaction was to seeing that and how they dealt with it and how they, um, you know, built alliances with other tribes or, you know, just their general response. Um, And I thought that's, you know, that's really pretty neat um, because it's not something, I mean, we certainly think about it as adults. I think especially in Oklahoma, we're more Mm -hmm. aware of those tribal issues, but I don't think that kids always do. Um, And so 
kind of wanting to build more of that in this year. Um, especially because I do have a lot of kids that that's their heritage. Um, so being able to kind of introduce that more into the classroom and that goes along great with, um, you know, in ninth grade at Bigsby, they take Oklahoma history. Uh So I feel like it kind of preps them for that a little bit too. Yeah. So, yeah, I taught Oklahoma history and we had to, I wanted to, to be very clear to them just how badly the Native Americans got hosed. Mm. Right. Because it's, you know, they, everybody kind of knows that. Right. But, like, talking about the development of the tribes individually and how much that they, like, tried to assimilate, you know? Yes. And they were they were wealthy and they were profitable and all, not profitable, but they were successful and, right. and all that. And they just got thrown in with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody had the foothold of being an American in, mm-hmm. in essence. But we had to talk about federalism yeah. and how the federal government and the state, and then how do you deal with another nation being in that system? Right. And so the separate but the same, mm-hmm. and it's just a really messy thing. Mm-hmm. And right. they, they didn't handle it great, but it was a really hard problem too. Right. You know? Yeah. But now really here we hard. are in 2023. Still dealing with yeah, it. Yeah. Still trying to figure out yeah. what that looks like. Yeah. What does it look like? I'm sure it's with the political climate, things have been difficult <laughs> to probably to say the least. What has some of that looked like for you? Um, you know, I've always like early on, um, in my career, I made it a point to, um, keep my own political views mm-hmm. kind of disguised in the classroom. Um, mm-hmm. because this is their space to figure that out. So I've kind of always, even though we've had these, um, you know, classroom conversations that may lean into a political narrative at some point, I'm always careful to play the devil's advocate for either side. Yeah, whatever. And they'll ask me point blank. They're like, well, what do you think? I'm like, it's not what about, it's not about what I think. Like this is your space for you to figure out what you think. Um, so really, I mean, aside from just being annoying, (laughs) um, I don't feel like it's really changed anything that I've done in, in my classroom. I don't stray away from the stuff that needs to be talked about. You know, I remember the first time I heard the term revisionist history and not Mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Mm -hmm. by the way, it was was that negative terminology and I heard it and it wasn't at school, right? but Mm -hmm. it was out in public and a friend of mine said it and I was like, and then he kind of explained what he was talking about. And I thought, again, going back to history is a multifaceted gem, right? You have to look at it from different sides. Otherwise you're not going to grasp the whole situation. And revisionist history is just the, that blanket condemnation of doing, delving further into history, yes. like what you're doing yes. uh, with your, your studies. And, you know, teaching history can be precarious if yes. that's the case, if there is a parent or an yes. administrator or a politician yes. uh, that takes aim at you. You know, it's like, this is how you teach history. Right. It is. Yeah. And so what I started, I will say, I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I've done nothing different. Um, the last two years in my honors classes, um, I've addressed, we've done a whole lesson on historiography. So the history, uh, so the history of how history is told, um, how it's interpreted. Um, and, um, I kind of walked them through some examples of that. Um, and so we, we just talk about how, you know, depending on the time period, it's going to look different. And one of the examples that I used um, was, you know, kind of the, the viewpoint that the South had on the Civil War, yeah. um, you know, immediately following that. And if you, if you look at um, 
if you if you look at books that were um, printed in the South, like I'll pull old copies of textbooks and be like, okay, look at how this was written in this time period and uh. look 50 years later. Um, and another example that's really relevant to Oklahoma students right now um, is the Tulsa Race Massacre. And yeah. so I'm like, hey, you know, let's let's look at there's this whole gap from 1921 to 1946 that no one wrote about it. Yeah. Um, and then when they did, the story looks very different than it does now. Um, and so, you know, it's just about getting them to realize that um, it's not revisionist, revisionist so much as it is like we're just being better about looking at everybody's experiences and we yeah. have the ability to do that in a digitized world that you know a mm -hmm. hundred years ago 50 years ago 25 years ago we maybe didn't have the ability to access the whole story but now that we do that's important yes so um yeah i mean i, I kind of start the year off that way um and so because i'll make them do the historiography of an event at some point mm -hmm. um and they'll see how challenging it is. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just facts. Right. You know. Right. But I, I think the thing that has changed for history and the telling of history, is that we are now finally holding both parties' mm. experiences roughly equally. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And so it's, no one ever thought when I was growing up, no one ever thought about what the Native Americans felt or the Indians, right. <laughs> what right. they felt about. Uh, you know, all of this stuff. Right. We just didn't even talk about it. We didn't even think about it. But now we're like, okay, they were involved in this. Right. What were they going yeah. through? Uh, and then, you know, women. Mm -hmm. Like anybody that did not have power mm -hmm. in the place and time that you're talking about do, does not, is not allowed to tell their story. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but now we can do that. Yeah. So it's not revisionist. It's just exploratory. Exactly. What other stories are out there? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you know, with being, having all of that stuff digitized now, just about anyone can go and look for that information. One of the classes that I'm taking this semester is called Lives of the Enslaved. Um, and it's mm. being taught by Dana Ramey Berry. Um, she wrote um, a black women's history mm -hmm. of the United States. I think it came out maybe two years ago. She's amazing. Um, but what we're focusing on in that class is, you know, we, we know these famous stories from people like Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and Frederick Douglass. What I hadn't thought about that she pointed out is um, these were the folks whose stories were exceptional because they were able to escape. They were able mm. to get an education. They were able to speak publicly about their experiences. What were the other 99% yeah. of the enslaved population doing, thinking, feeling, and I don't know, that just speaks to me to um, that inclusionary piece that we've started to have. It's like we're, we're really looking at the other 99% in everything, yeah. even in the marginalized populations. And I hadn't really thought about that. It's like, yeah, this is a very small representation of what um, that experience was like. Mm -hmm. um, so we're kind of you know digging into that a little bit further this semester. And um, I pulled a lot of the um, Federal Writers Project slave narratives to kind of look at with yeah. my students when uh -huh. I teach that unit. So two things. One, you're an extraordinary teacher. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. Number two, here, what here. is the program that you're, what, it sounds like it's really good. It's what, incredible. So, what? um, I found out about this on Reddit of all places. Oh, nice. I'm in a teacher's <laughs> group for in Reddit. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people, you know, I didn't even have that service until 2020 when I started a garden during the shutdown. I was like, oh, there's a group for that, whatever. <laughs> so now I'm in this group for teachers. And I had really been looking at the last couple of years getting a master's in history, 
um, had kind of settled on TU because they had that program for public school teachers where the tuition was subsidized and then they closed it down. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing this. Um, and then somebody posted in this group, um, you should look into uh, the Gilder Lehrman Foundation. They have a master's program that they partner with Gettysburg College. It's all online. It's all for public school teachers. Um, and it's like $750 per class, oh. um, which is less than what you would pay for TCC, right? And then I got a a scholarship to where I actually got a class free um, over the summer. So it was super affordable, but the people that that Gettysburg brings in for this, they're adjunct, um, but they're adjunct at places like Dartmouth, Yale, University of Virginia. Um, I mean, it's you're getting like an Ivy League experience with these professors, but you're not having to pay for it. And it's all geared towards how do you use this in your classroom? Um, and so that's, I mean, I've loved it. Um, it, it really, I didn't know what to expect, you mm-hmm. know, um, but it's, it's exceeded my expectations and the, Great. you know, even though it's a remote program, um, you know, we have like weekly zoom calls and, um, you know, my discourse with my professors, um, is, is it's neat because if I have a question about something, I can send an email to a Pulitzer prize winning author and get a response, <laughs> right? Like, how cool is that? Um, and so it's made me even more excited about my content. Um, but I can reach out to somebody who's, you know, they're, they're a historian and be like, how should I present this in my classroom? What would this look like? Um, and they love it because they're not, you know, they're at the university level, but how do we get kids excited about this? Cause that's job security for them. Right. For sure. So but it's, it's been an incredible um, opportunity, and I've, I've loved every class I've taken so far. What's the name of the program again? Um, it's the Gilder Lehrman Institution. Okay. Um, and Is there somebody out there listening? And yes. Like, yeah. That would love to do this. Love to do it. Yes. Yeah. And um, it's that organization is it's a professional organiza- organization for history teachers, and it's okay. free. Um, so even if you don't want to take the classes, like you don't want to be a master's student, um, you can actually do the self-paced courses um, on their website for free and just kind of pick and choose what you might want to learn about. Um, they have like a monthly uh, free book that they'll send you um, oh, if you okay. sign up for it. So I've gotten some different, um, like they sent me the writings of Frederick, Frederick, <laughs> the Frederick. Writings of Frederick Douglass last yeah. month. Awesome. Um, wow. So, you know, you get all kinds of stuff, but um, the degree itself is through Gettysburg College. So cool. Yeah. Amazing. That's very, very cool. Yeah. That makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. Um, finding the balance with two kids and I was gonna two ask jobs. How that's and going. Yeah, because I also teach night school. Um, oh, my gosh. So <laughs> um, finding that balance has been a little difficult, but yeah. that's what coffee's for, right? <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. So that's cool. I like that the focus is on like how you can apply it to your classroom like yes. right now. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. It also takes a lot of the heavy lifting from absorbing theory or whatever and then kind of dissecting it and then putting it into your class. But if they can tell you that you can, this is the story, this is how it's uh, laid out. This is how you tell it. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's a cool way to network um, with other teachers all over the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I especially like 
kind of hearing like, well, here's how we're teaching this in New Jersey. Here's how we're teaching yeah. this in Wisconsin. Um, here's what we're dealing with in Florida. <laughs> like, you know, um, <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, that's kind of neat because, you know, obviously every state has its own, you know, little cultural tie into stuff. And, yeah. um, so kind of hearing how yeah. they pull that in, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's good nerd conversation. That's really what it is. <laughs> and I'm here for it. So <laughs> man, just connecting with teachers from yes. different parts of the country is so powerful. I said, I went to the colonial Williamsburg teachers Institute and yes. that was the first time that I met and kind of like bonded with teachers from all over yes. the country. And it was so, and we were all teaching fifth grade. We were yeah. all teaching fifth grade, early American history. And so it was so wonderful and so powerful to hear, like you said, what they're doing mm -hmm. and be able to apply that and just the differences in how we talk about it. Yes. And I yes. Mean, there's such difference from like someone in LA talking about right. something to someone in you know, rural Virginia, there's right. very different verbiage that is used. Like, yes, it, it's just, I don't know. It's fascinating. It's a study it really in is. and of itself, I think. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. sure. So, well, there's complexity, like you said, different verbiage, but there's also like what we have experienced with talking to teachers across the country. There's the commonality too. Yes. So right. You, yes. you come around the table and you immediately connect and you start to talk yes. and then you start to pull out these, oh, you say it yeah. this way. Yes. Say it that way. Yeah. So Absolutely. It's good. I think it's good medicine for any teacher to, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. to experience that. Get out of your silo as uh -huh. best you can, uh, whether it's across the state or across the country. Yeah. And see what's going on. See what yeah. people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing for sure. I'm going to just bring back what Rick said. Is it, She said, first of all, you're an amazing teacher. Well, thank you. And, yes. mm -hmm. and I want to know, because it sounds like your kids are engaged. And so that is, you know, the big part of classroom management, yes. managing your classroom. But I want to hear, you know, your culture that you build in your classroom and how you do that. And I think his, teaching history is such a cool subject to mm -hmm. be able to build a community and, you know, your little classroom culture and everything. So, yeah. I don't know, I want to hear about your relationships, culture in your classroom, sure. all of that. Um, so, it, you know, it, it never... It never fails. Every year, I feel like each um, class period sort of develops its own little personality. Absolutely, yes. um, and which is a good thing. Um, but that allows me to um, kind of connect with them all differently. Uh -huh. You know, like I always have like the smaller, quieter class of the kids that are, um, you know, like my fellow history nerds. And so I might teach it a little bit differently. Okay. You know, I always have a class that is um, loaded full of football boys. <laughs> and we use a lot of football analogies, <laughs> you know, when we were talking about why um, – why France, you know, sided with the Americans in the American Revolution. I'm like, guys, okay, OU Texas. Like, you know, obviously you're an OU fan. When Texas plays OU, who do you cheer for? And like, well, OSU, because we hate Texas. There it is, right? <laughs> um, That's so, perfect. Yeah, you just kind of dial into their vibe, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's very authentic um, yeah. in terms of, like, I find something within them that kind of connects, yeah. you know, with me. And my, my six-hour is pretty rowdy this year um and it's it's boy heavy but you know they're just done at the end yeah. of the day and they're all kind of the goof-offs but like there's a part of my personality that's in there too yeah. you know like I'm, I'm here for like my cynic sarcastic 
students as well. And so I don't know, you just kind of match the vibe, I guess. Um, And we do a lot of collaborative stuff, um, especially when dealing with primary sources. They get so freaked out when you're looking at a document that was written in the 1700s. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I make them struggle with that. I'm like, I'm not going to spoon feed it to you. You're going to sit in a group of four. You're going to figure this out. Um, And just kind of the way that I grade those, we go over them together and they have the opportunity to make corrections Uh because I want them to feel like it's a safe space to take risks Mm -hmm. because my honors kids especially are so afraid to get something wrong Mm. that they'll just shut down. And I'm like, listen, nine times out of 10, like your hunch is correct. Like don't shy away from that. So I, I try to create that space where, um, they're willing to kind of throw something out there and see what sticks, you know? Um, and they're, you know, we're at the point in the year where they're starting to get more comfortable with that, where they've realized like, Oh, like I'm not going to be penalized if I have it wrong because I'll Mm -hmm. have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to correct it before I turn it in and get full credit. And so much of what we talk about is just ideas. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of times not a right or a wrong answer, um, with historical stuff. I mean, we, we focus largely on the how and the why. So, um, you know, just making sure that I create a space where they kind of, you know, feel comfortable in that way. Um, I also have, um, like I've never been a fan of fluorescent lights. I think it overstimulates them. (laughs) It overstimulates me. So I have a bunch of like lamps and like string lights. And, um, I always have like, like some lo-fi, like background music going, you know, yes. And so my kids come in and they're like, Oh, this is so nice. Yeah. You know, um, and kids love that. They love a comfortable place. Right. Yes. Yes. And so we'll have days, um, on, you know, when I have them do like a a secondary source analysis or like independent note taking or something, which is usually one or two days a week, we call it coffee shop vibes where they're allowed to come in, get what they need, sit down somewhere comfortable. They can listen to music on their own device. If they don't like the old people music that I have going. (laughs) Um, but I'm like, listen, this is what it's going to be like in college. Like when you're more responsible for your study habits, figure out what works for you now. Do I need a quiet space? Do I need to be in a desk? Do I need earbuds? Do I not, you know, um, so just kind of giving them that space. Yes. Um, and I think giving them some of that, um, that autonomy to self-regulate, to figure out what does and doesn't work yes. instead of me telling them, this is how you're going to do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just been more successful over the years than maybe yeah. when I was more by the book, the first two or three uh-huh. years of teaching where you had to do it the way that I wanted you to do it because I thought that's, that's how, like, yeah. well, they told me in college this was how you were going to learn, so they must have been right, you know? <laughs> so. You know, one thing I picked up teaching high school is that there was a perception. Like you mentioned, this is how it's going to be in college. Mm-hmm. You know, you are going to have freedom. You're going to be t- given a task, and then you have to manage your time, your space, yes. and your progress and all that. But there was this common theme with some teachers that they had built out this idea of college and college professors that wasn't realistic yes. at all. <laughs> yes. So mm-hmm. kids as junior and seniors, they would end up going to college and they would come back and they'd be like, college is way like more chill than yeah. I thought. Exactly. <laughs> because the picture that was painted was these professors are just so mean. Exactly. And high school teachers can be so much meaner. You know, yes. my, I remember my professors in college were so yes. relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's it. That's so it. So relaxed. And that was something that, you know, cause I, I am by nature a fairly type A person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, kind of unraveling that, um, 
and figuring out that I needed to hand that more over to them because that's a life skill anyway. Yeah. Like I should not be doing the heavy lifting of spoon feeding you the curriculum, self-regulating your impulsivity, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, regulating where you, I mean, it's, you know, not that, I mean, I do have a seating chart, not that I'm not a fan of a good seating chart every now and then. <laughs> right. Um, but largely they need to figure out how to handle that. Um, yeah. and I think, um, that, you know, post COVID that's more important than anything. When you consider that the kids I have now missed out on fifth grade for yeah. the most part, okay. and that's a pivotal year. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's curriculum that has to be retaught, but also how to be a student. Like they've got to iron that one out. Right. We heard yeah. after when they were going back mm-hmm. that the kids forgot how to go to school. Oh yeah. yeah. Just basic stuff. Yeah. Like, don't take a phone call in class. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yes. We're talking like the basics. Yes. But, but there is, you know, there is a balance because some teachers I needed a very organized classroom. Right. Predictable. Yes. Safe. That for yes. me, that was the, the key, but for somebody else they're they could be more loosey goosey because their personality facilitated. Right. Them, right. So it depends on the teacher. But my point was, is that, you know, what is best is with regard to the learning of the student, you mm-hmm. know, and giving them some space, some autonomy may, you know, uh, help them yeah. in managing themselves and their time and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's, I think that's a great way to, to show that you trust them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. And if they, if they fail, <laughs> Okay, we're gonna regroup. Yep, <laughs> we're not gonna do that for a while. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna start again. But yes, absolutely. Just, I trust you. This is your space. This is your time. Mm-hmm. And then be cool. Right. Just be cool. <laughs> right. And you know that's something I don't think that we talk about. Um, well, we talk a lot about how we um, want to build a culture of trust in our classroom, but I don't think we necessarily talk about it being in terms of communicating to our students that we trust them, not just that they should trust us because we're the adult in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not a big fan of the phrase like earning trust or earning respect necessarily. It's more, you have to cultivate that. Like you don't just stand around and wait for it to be earned. Like you have, that's an active process. Um, And definitely, um, you know, when I, uh, before I came to Bigsby and I was at a title one school that had a lot of, um, you know, just kids that were experiencing things I never had in mm-hmm. my lifetime, right? And um, they needed to, they needed me to acknowledge and trust that the things that they needed were not going to be stuff that I knew anything about. Yeah. Um, and so I used to tell them, like, you are the expert on yourself in this moment. Like, mm-hmm. you, you've got to give me some feedback for what it is you think we need. Like, I can help you work through that and figure out like how we make that yeah. work in a school setting because I can't just let you sit there for an hour and do nothing. Cause you got no sleep last night. Like, right. like I get it, but like, we've got to have a meet in the middle somewhere. Um, and yeah, so I mean that, you know, I really did, um, get to the point where, especially in that advisor position, when you're, you're getting to know kids on a one-to-one level and hearing their stories, some of the things that they were experiencing at home, it's like, man, I have no idea what that's even like, like I, you know, I have to trust that what you're doing for yourself, um, you know, in this moment that you're sharing this with me or whatever, um, is what you need. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, it just kind of changed my perspective a little bit. So yeah, I think that that's huge in the classroom is to, you know, show them like at the outset, unless they've not given you a reason, um, you know, then otherwise, yeah, that, that trust goes both ways. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 
What do you hope your kids think about when they think about your classroom? Um, or feel when they feel think about your classroom? I hope that when they look back at our time together, they, they don't just come away with a bunch of names and dates, right? Um, I want them to come away with it, um, you know, with a developed natural curiosity. Maybe mm. they hate history, whatever, but like just learning how to ask yes. questions. Um, and I hope that I've created a space where students feel like, oh, she really got me. Mm. Like, even though we are completely different human beings, like, I feel like she, she heard me. I feel like she got me. Um, and I, one of the things I've started doing this year is they have to write unit papers every nine weeks where they have, um, the last one we did was argumentative and it was not easy. Um, it, we were studying the American revolution. The prompt they had to answer was when is war justified? And oh how do you, gosh. how do you defend that? Um, and so being that it's not an English class, you know, I'm not as focused on the technical writing, you mm -hmm. know, like I, you know, told them early on, like, this is more about learning how to articulate and defend an idea and how to have polite discourse uh, with people that have different views yes. than you. And so I would give them a lot of like independent feedback and coaching on their writing. Um, and so I, I don't know, I just hope that they feel heard, I yeah. guess, like, man, this was a point when I really learned a lot about myself too. Yeah. It wasn't just about like memorizing who signed the constitution, Yeah, <laughs> you know, why did they sign it? Yeah. Why, why did they write it? What right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is where we are right now in our curriculum. So, hmm. and where did they get the idea? Like, yeah, that's what, for me, th that little bit of the U S got the idea from France. France helped us, and then they tried it and to totally failed. Yes. Oh. But I don't know all that. You know, sideways. if you rewind, and this is something I'll be teaching, not this week, but next week. If you rewind a little bit, France got the idea from Native American tribes that ran very egalitarian societies that they traded with in oh. Canada and, like, the northern part of North America. And so they're like, man, this society is so, like, everybody has rights and a role and, like, Nobody seems mad at anybody else. There's not like a wealthy ruling class. So those traders would go back to France and be like, you're not going to believe what we just saw. Right. And so that actually um, inspired part of the enlightenment movement of what a democratic society should look like. We stole those ideas from indigenous huh. people, repackaged them as European ideas and sold it to the colonists, you know? Wow. Um, so we talk about that too. Because again, I'm, I'm trying to infuse some of those in indigenous um uh, historical pieces, yes. you know, into my class and, and they're like, what? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like these people that we said were so, uh, uncivilized yes. and, and savage, we actually stole their method of government, you know, um, yeah. and reworked what did it. it. What did it look like mm -hmm. in the United States when the Europeans showed up? Well, it was going pretty good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It didn't need anybody's yeah. right. That's what I, I always tell them. I'm like, listen, like there was no empty land. There was no empty land, mm. right? They rolled up onto metropolises mm -hmm. and granted they didn't look like they were as, um, populated as maybe they expected, but that's because of all the diseases that came over in the first wave yeah. of contact. Right. So, um, and we talk a little bit more about that now than we did. Um, you know, yellow fever played a huge role in the American Revolution. Um, and I started building that in after COVID because they're so interested now in yes. what can disease do to a society. And so we talk about that now too. Yeah. So, 
you know, just borrowing those things that they're naturally curious about. It's like, well, let me find something so that you're, you're listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> well, it was Cortez and the Aztecs where they rolled up and said, Hey, how you doing? And immediately started to their, yes, their diseases that they were carrying started to kill yeah. native Americans, Yeah, you know, and when they came circled back, uh, like they were devastated. Right. You know? Yeah. And so to the people that arrived here, it was like, oh, these are underdeveloped societies. Like they're a waning people. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause like 90% of them died from European diseases. <laughs> like, wow. you know, um, it wasn't their mismanagement of society or something that had, you know, caused yeah. that. So. Yeah. I love history. I know yeah. I've said that several times, <gasps> yeah. but I just, there's so much that you can talk about. You know, and what's really fun, a couple nights a week, um, I teach in an adult education program. I work with, um, in the spring, I teach citizenship classes to immigrants. And oh, wow. in the fall, I teach GED. Uh -huh. um, and so you can have some very different conversations um, with those folks. And um, that's always super fun, too, um, because it's, you know, you're the average age of that student is 40s or 50s uh -huh. usually. And so they have all this life perspective. Um, and I've learned a lot from them because when I teach my citizenship class and we talk about government, I have students in my classroom from all over the world who are highly educated in their own right, you uh -huh. know, um, that bring a lot of different life experience to the table. And so they enjoy sharing what they have experienced in governance in their own countries. And uh, it's just, it's a very cool place for a lot of exchange of ideas yeah. that I don't necessarily get during the day. Right. So. Well, bless you for doing that because Truly. they are getting a really good quality yes. edu U.S. Ed history education. Yes. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I, so. I know they are. <laughs> I know. For sure. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, I thought I would just teach night school maybe for one year to make some extra money, and this is my third year just because they can't get rid of me at this point. Like, I just, I enjoy <laughs> it too in. much. Yeah. It's it's a different pace. I love so, that. Yeah. I love that. Man, time is flying. We've almost been talking for an hour. Oh, wow. I cannot even believe it. Yeah, same. Um, is there anything we haven't talked about that we want to I The one thing I wanted to come back to, but mm -hmm. we, we just kept moving. But yeah. <laughs> I would love to see um, a curriculum built out around ancestry and yes. that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Not not from somebody else, but from you. Oh, for me. No pressure. Because why not? Like right. you're doing it yeah. and what works and what I, I just yeah. think that would be an incredible leap forward yes. for teaching history mm -hmm. and how to teach history. Um I, I just if I were a history teacher right now, I would jump on that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, starting it out as a flex class, because again it's too 30 minute lessons mm -hmm. and, and it's largely like I, you know, it's on them to gather like those first three generations. I can help you after that, but it's largely self-driven. And so it's kind of like yeah. independent coaching time. I've got about 13 kids in there and I'll sit down with two or three of them yeah. every period. So trying to figure out what that would look like as a full blown elective or as a companion unit to something I'm teaching in my own yeah. class. Um, True. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but this I thought was a good way to kind of dip my toe in and just mm -hmm. see like, is this feasible? First of all, like yeah. are kids going to want to do this? Um, and with all the information that's out there, am I going to have time to really sit down and, and coach them through the things that they need? Right. So yeah, I'm still kind of picking away at it. <laughs> Keep digging. Keep digging. That's an, an extraordinary idea. Yeah. You know? yes. And it's a new idea because it's, it, what you couldn't do it. Exactly. Five yeah. years, ten years ago. Exactly. You know? 
because uh, Ancestry, I delved into it about 10 years ago, and it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I know that their database is getting so much larger yes. so fast. Yes. So, <coughs> yeah. Well, I, I did a, a unit, again, when I taught world history, and it was, you know, the 20% time. We took Fridays to, I gave them the opportunity to pursue a project that they wanted to mm-hmm. pursue, right? And I became the facilitator, the coach, the uh, companion. Okay. Right? And so they had to tell me where they start, where they wanted to start, where they wanted to finish. And then they had to do the proof of I learned this skill or I learned this thing or whatever. Right. Or I finished this poem. I mean, it could be anything. And that brought such a new and different look of teaching for yes. me. Yes. Because now I'm helping them through and getting to watch them struggle. At, yes. You know, you, you get the first you know, 75% of the project done, and it gets really hard. Yes. You know, the last 15, 20% of any project is just brutal. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and I could be like, this is normal. Mm-hmm. This is normal. Yeah, but this is what it looks like. Yeah. But yeah, that maybe there's some room for that. To be able to coach them through this, and then also, like, tell everybody, okay, we're going to stop for just a second, because Billy just found out this. Yes. And then you just build, you know, perspective around that, and then, okay, back, yeah. back to work. Yeah, you know, back to the original student that started all of this, uh, when we dug back a little bit further, um, you know, once you get to a certain point in genealogy, somebody else has done the work for you, and then you're just verifying, you know. Um, And so we were talking about how to verify that, and we um, eventually got back to the point where we found one of his um, ancestors had came over on the Mayflower, which my family did as well on my dad's side and um he was like oh my gosh maybe they knew each other uh, um which was really cool because of course they did um but you know that was <laughs> for a they were on the same boat yeah, yeah like for months right yeah. um but you know again for a kid who was kind of still trying to figure out where he fit yes. in the world like um because he and I had he used to bring me Dr. Pepper every day because like I was just kind of his life coach I guess like yeah. he, he was just, he was a just a good kid is a good kid. Um, and I I don't know. I think he kind of enjoyed that there was like a connection there as well. Like I kind of see where I fit now. Um, and so that's always cool too, because in American history, you get to the point somewhere where, you know, somebody's aunt or uncle or great, great grandfather knew somebody that you're related to. I mean, that's just how it goes. Right. So, um, and that's always fun for them to see too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What this has been good. a good conversation. <laughs> Seriously, well, I'm glad. you're like a wealth of information, well, thank knowledge, you. and resources. This has been awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, I'm going to wrap up with okay. two questions. Okay. All right, so you have a minute to go back in time before you started teaching. Mm-hmm. With all of these 17 years of experience, if you had one minute to talk to your former self, what would you say? Um, gosh, that's a good question. Um probably to set really good boundaries in terms of understanding that you cannot and are not expected to fix everything for every child. Um, And again, you know, that's what our culture has kind of brought in, like in education is that, you know, we're, we're kind of, I don't want to use the word martyr, um, but you know, we, we view ourselves as being the one in the room with all the answers. And that's, I feel like kind of what our teacher prep programs 
really touch on is that inspiring, like, oh, you're going to go in and then these kids, like, you're going to fix everything for them and they're going to learn, you know, that's just not I it. Know what you mean. And yeah. I have spent every teacher movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly. And, and that's something that, um, I really had to learn the hard way is that you, um, you have to guard yourself from, you know, recognizing like when you, when you lose a student to, to drugs or violence or something that like, there was nothing you could do about that. You know, like you were there for them. You loved them when you had them. Um, but no, I've spent a lot of sleepless nights thinking, what could I have done for that kid differently? And we all do that's natural. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if you're 22 or 23 processing that, um, you may never go back to the classroom. So Mm -hmm. having more of an emphasis on that for our young teachers that no one expects you to save the world, um, just do your best. And for one kid every year, you're going to be that person period. And you may not even set out to be that person for that kid, but somewhere along the way, you're going to make that connection. Um, but just kind of being aware that like, you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't carry all of that. That is really good. Really, really good advice. All right. And then the last question is what is something you're consuming? I'm going to ask Rick and I'll give an answer to this myself. What's something you're consuming that you're enjoying that you'd want to recommend? It can be teacher related or not. Totally up to you. Okay. Mine is the fall of the house of Usher on Netflix. Have you guys watched? Not yet. No. Fall of the house of Usher. Oh man. It is so good. Have you seen like the haunting of Hill house or the Sunday, whatever mass Sunday mass, Uh midnight mass. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're, they're like the same actors in all of these different stories mm-hmm. in all of these different TV series, but each series is like a different, totally different story, mm-hmm. like totally different, whatever. And this one is so good and it's creepy and it's scary and it's dark and I loved it. Perfect, I loved it. I just finished October. it this morning. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's a Halloween recommendation. Well, there you go. All right. Who wants to go next? I am reading a novel right now, which I don't do. I'm all nonfiction all yes. the time. Yes. But a friend of mine who teaches U.S. history, he and his wife told me I have to read all the light you, all the light you can yes. see. It's about World War II. Yes. Okay. Um, and I am about halfway through it, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. It's very good. But I just I did it because they recommended it, and they were so adamant. Yes. And I just went with it, and it's it's pretty good now. I still prefer <laughs> nonfiction, but I am enjoying this book. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I'm, I'm going to have to look at my list because I usually have four or five books going at the same oh, time. Oh, nice. I'm one of those weirdos. Um, I mentioned Ned Blackhawk's book earlier. Um, I can look at the specific title of that because I, I just finished it and I really enjoyed that. Um, let's see. At my list here. Okay. Um, yeah, so The Rediscovery of America by Ned Blackhawk. Okay. I really enjoyed that. Um, because like I said, it just gives a different um a different perspective. And yeah. I'm also reading uh Ken Follett's new book right now. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the fourth in the series about um this uh medieval village that he's okay. you know, the the Pillars of the Earth series. It's the fourth installment in that okay. book. Um, and that's not a typical read for me cause I'm just mm-hmm. not that interested in, in medieval, but I mean, he has, he has written some really great stuff and yeah. this fourth book takes place during the industrial revolution. And so of course they're talking about like the war of 1812 and uh-huh. you know, colonial history in the United States. I'm like, well, that 
that might be yeah. something that ties in, you know, to what I, what I like. So yeah, kind yeah. of working through both of those right now. Well, good. Yeah. You're busy. Those are great yes. Busy. Yes. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking yeah, time. Thank you for having me. To us. Yeah. I'm so glad we were actually going to talk to her. Our very first yep. podcast with Jamie Lee yes. and Stephanie Bauer at my house. Oh, really? Yeah. And she was going to be part of this, but yes. she, I can't remember. I think it was a migraine or yes, maybe it was a sick kid or, yeah. yeah. And so she couldn't come. So we finally yeah. got Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, Jamie and I go way back. Yes. Okay. So, uh, well, yeah. thank you so much Yeah, for thank coming. you. This I appreciate fun. it. Please visit our website at relatethenneducate.com. If you'd like us to come to your school, great. Go to our website, click on our speaking page, and see what all we talk about. And we'd love to come meet your teachers. Also on our site, you can visit our events page. We have some excellent workshops and really cool events that we are currently planning. We cannot wait for these things. Oh, they're going to be exciting. Also, you can check out our Teacher Voices page, which is exactly what it sounds like, Teacher Voices. It's a wonderful resource of teacher stories, teacher experiences, just all you can hear teacher voices. And it's a great way you can connect with them. You can learn and hear from other teachers. So check out our website, relatheneducate.com. We are always looking for more teachers to talk to. And you have a story worthy of sharing. Yes, you. I'm talking to you, teacher. You may not think you do, but oh, do you? And we want to meet you. We want to talk to you on the podcast. And even if you're like, oh, I don't have anything, which I know you do. I know you know of a teacher who has a great story, who has great experiences and lessons that we could learn from. So you could also let us know their name, their information, and we would love to reach out to them and see if they want to be on our show. So reach out to us on our website, or you can email me at Erin, E-R-I-N, at RelateThenEducate.com, and I will get back to you. I am so excited always to meet new teachers. Have you pre-ordered your copy of the Relate Then Educate book? Because you need to. You really, really do. The Relate Then Educate book is wonderful. It is a bunch of different teacher stories. And they're getting out there. And we can't wait. So if you haven't pre-ordered your copy, you need to do it. You can pre-order it anywhere where you order you know, your books and stuff from. We will, we will release the book this summer. All right, finally, please like and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Relate Then Educate and on Twitter at Relate Then E-D-U-C and the number one. And then on whatever you're listening to this podcast, please follow us, like us, leave a review. It helps us grow. It helps us be seen. Please do that. All right, finally, teachers, you are worthy. You are valuable and you are loved. Bye.